Hey, creep. I want to tell you a tale, if you're ready to hear it. It may not be pleasant. It may not end the way you want it to. But this story is gripping and as fascinating as it is shockingly horrifying. Are you ready? My name's Cole, and you're listening to Tales. Before we start today's tale, I just wanted to say a quick thank you to our first few patrons. I will be calling you out personally and by name on this week's Sideshow episode. And I just wanted to remind everyone that we have a brand new Patreon, where creeps wanting to contribute $5 or more are treated to a brand new spin-off podcast. If you missed last week's sneak peek at the end of the episode, the new show is called 911 Calls with Cole. Original, right? Each episode we listen to a 911 call and explore the stories behind them. We put names and people to the voices you hear and explore their stories. If you would like to become a patron, visit patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Tales by Cole. Or you can visit our brand new website, talesbycole.com, and click the Patreon link at the top of the page. Now back to today's tale. You don't need me to tell you who Madeline McCann is. You've heard the reports, seen the documentaries, poured through articles online. But now it's my time to take a stab at it. For me to tell you the story of Madeline McCann, before we get to look at new information just discovered by investigators. Madeline went missing on May 3rd, 2007, and 13 years later now, Madeline McCann still hasn't been found. The McCann family from Leicester, England had booked a holiday through the travel company Mark Warner. It was long overdue and Kate and Jerry, Madeline's parents, felt it was time to take their young kids on a well-deserved holiday and start showing them the world. Kate and Jerry McCann, both practicing doctors, had three young children, Amelia and Sean, who were twins and two years old at the time and Madeline, who was three years old at the time of her disappearance. Madeline McCann was born on May 11, 2003, and was quickly turning into a young, precocious little girl, with an easily recognizable distension of color on her right eye, which did nothing to dim her light, but instead added character and a certain quirkiness to the young girl which friends and family looked on as endearing. After booking their trip, Packing up their young family and making the journey from Drury, Leicester, England, the McCann family arrived at the Ocean Club Resort in Praia de Luz, Algarve, in the south of Portugal on April 28, 2007. When they arrived, the weather was hot and arid and a welcome change from the northern clouds of England the family was accustomed to. The sun felt sweet on their skin, the ocean breeze was invigorating, and the family felt the tension of everyday work, school, and obligations just melt away. Kate and Jerry signed into the resort, their gaggle of excited young children in tow, and made their way to apartment 5A, a ground floor flat that would be their little home for the remainder of their holiday. But they weren't the only ones signing into the Ocean Club Resort for a short reprieve from real life. 
The McCann's friends, dubbed by the media later as the Tapas Seven, had organized the vacation in a group effort and had booked most of the block that apartment 5A was connected to for their week's stay. The resort was close to the beach, had easy in and out access, and was accessible from the public street, perfect for picking up and quickly enjoying what the vacation days ahead of them had to offer. Each day, the McCanns and the rest of the Tapas Seven would get up and have breakfast. Then that was followed by a leisurely lunch by the pool. Jerry McCann would then head off for tennis lessons while Kate and her kids would hang out in the complimentary kids club provided by the Ocean Club Resort. We all have habits that we like to indulge ourselves in. Ritualized segments that give our days structure and purpose. And Madeline's last day with her parents was no different. At 2.29pm, the afternoon before Madeline's disappearance, Kate, Madeline's mother, took the last photo of her daughter without even knowing there wouldn't be albums of photos to come after. On that day, like all the previous days of their vacation, Jerry said goodbye to the children and his wife Kate to attend his tennis lesson at 6pm. After working up a sweat, he returned home around 7pm to find Kate getting the twins and Madeline ready for bed. Kate and Jerry said goodnight to the twins and then put Madeline to bed wearing a pair of long-sleeved white and pink pajamas while clutching her blanket in her tiny hands, and the two parents left her in her room to sleep. After the children were fast asleep at around 8.30pm, Kate and Jerry McCann left their apartment with the three children presumably safely asleep inside and walked 80 meters to join their friends at the tapas bar. Now, before we go any further, I want to address something. It's easy to say, why would you leave your kids? Why leave them behind? Why would you do that? What sort of mother just leaves her children? And while I agree with you, I also have to pump the brakes. If there are any parents listening, and I know there are, can you honestly say you've never stepped out, assuming everything would be fine? Now, if you just said no to yourself, creep, Either you are the most meticulously observant ever-present helicopter parent, or you just lied to me and yourself. And I know we're better friends than that. So on one hand, yes, why on God's earth would you leave your children in a hotel room in a foreign country? But on the other hand, how many parents have done the same thing with their kids while trying to sneak a midnight tequila in Mexico? How many people have left their children napping and snuck across the street to have coffee and gossip with a friend in the middle of the day? It's easy to judge others when we know the end result will be tragic, to look at all the other possible outcomes and actions that could have been taken, but no one ever thinks it will happen to them. Doesn't matter if you're a teenager hitchhiking, rolling the dice that whoever picks you up is a good-natured person, or a parent staying within near proximity to sleeping children, ready to respond or feeling ready to respond if anything happens. Now, Kate, Jerry, and the rest of the Tapas Seven had reserved a table every night at the Tapas Bar to unwind with their friends, to have their adult time. And every night on the holiday, Kate and Jerry's kids had slept in their beds in apartment 5A alone, without incident. But this night was tragically different. The table that Kate and Jerry McCann had requested every night of their trip, where they sat enjoying evening drinks with their friends, was requested specifically so that they could maintain eye contact with the apartment building and apartment 5A where their three children slept. 
Although Kate and Jerry couldn't see all of the apartment building, their concern was not to do with some depraved subhuman monster stealing children in the night, but with fires and that sort of trouble. So it seemed more than ample supervision. Some of the other parents in their little group, the Tapas 7, had baby monitors that they were listening in on their children throughout the night so as not to disturb their adult fun time unwarranted. The McCanns decided it would be better to go and physically check their children, though, feeling more comfortable placing their eyes on their children sleeping soundly in their beds. Jerry McCann took the first round of checking the children, leaving the tapas bar to make the 80-meter walk only 30 minutes after they arrived at the bar around 9.05 p.m. The McCanns had left the patio door shut, but unlocked rationalizing that this would make it easier for the other adults in their friend group to double up on their own parental checks and pop in themselves to check on the McCann children. Jerry McCann quietly opened the sliding door. His ears pricked listening quietly to see if he could hear anything. And then Jerry padded quietly across the apartment floor to the children's bedroom and peered through the open door. Jerry saw them, sleeping quietly and once again at ease knowing his children were sleeping soundly and safely, Jerry shut the bedroom door and left to rejoin his wife and friends at the bar. What Jerry McCann didn't realize at the time is that when they had originally left for the tapas bar, they had closed the children's bedroom door. But arriving back in the apartment to check on his children, the bedroom door was open. But unfortunately, Jerry didn't realize this until much much later. At the same time Jerry was checking on his children, another member of the friend group, Jane Tanner, was doing the same thing. As Jane Tanner was walking down the street to check on her children, she walked past Jerry speaking to another tourist on the street. But neither Jerry nor the other tourist remember seeing Jane Tanner, who supposedly walked right past them on a very narrow street. Jane Tanner now, after supposedly passing Jerry and the tourists greeting one another on the street, continued onwards to her apartment on the conjoined block, and at 9.15, after just passing Jerry McCann talking to the tourist, Jane saw heading east on the dimly lit road, a man walking away from the McCann apartment holding a small child in his arms. The child wasn't wearing any shoes had on pink and white pajamas, and later the man would be described as mid-thirties in beige trousers and wearing a dark jacket. At the moment, though, Jane Tanner thought nothing of it. Could be someone from the resort taking their child for a night walk. That's all, and continued on her way to check her children before returning to the tapas bar. Jane Tanner arrived back to resume their evening and didn't mention the man carrying the child. It hadn't seemed strange to her. 20 minutes later, Kate McCann decided she wanted to go put her mind at ease and quickly check on the children. But as Kate stood up, another member of the Tapas 7, Matthew Oldfield, told Kate to relax. He had to go check on his children anyways. He'd be fine checking on the McCann kids as well. The time was now 9.30pm and Matthew Oldfield started his watchdog rounds. On arriving at the McCann's apartment and softly walking inside, he noticed the children's bedroom door was wide open. Matthew Oldfield peeked his head in, perked his ears, listening for the sound of catastrophe, and heard nothing. So he decided it was time to turn around and make his way back to the fun. 
Now creep. Never hire Matthew Oldfield as your babysitter. While Matthew had checked in on the children, Matthew never saw the children. The room was dark and he merely poked his head in the door to listen. Not only that, but he peered at the window trying to decide if it was open or not, and didn't think to walk up and check. He knew the bedroom door was wide open, but couldn't quite make out in the darkness if the window had been pushed open, and as that fleeting thought in his head left, he was now eager to get back to his friends and just left. Another half an hour passed after Matthew Oldfield sort of checked in on the children, and Kate decided it was definitely time for her now to see the kids safe in their beds for herself. Kate McCann walked the short distance between the bar and the apartment, pushed open the patio doors and headed to the room in which her children were sleeping, and accidentally, while on her way to check the children, slammed a door closed. Kate then headed to the open bedroom door and immediately noticed the windows were wide open and the shutters had been torn. In a panic, Kate swung around to the cot where the twins were sleeping. They were there, safe and sound. But when she went to look for Madeline, well, Madeline wasn't there. Madeline's blanket and cuddle cat were still on the bed, but there was no Madeline. Kate McCann's heart jumped into her throat and she felt panic igniting every nerve in her body. Hoping that Madeline had just woken up and crawled into her parents' bed, Kate ran through the apartment to the main bedroom and turned on the light. But still no Madeline. Kate, now breathing heavy, started moving from room to room, searching and throwing on the lights as she went, checking for her daughter. But as each second ticked by, Kate slowly came to the realization that her daughter was now missing. Kate ran out of the apartment, terror and panic setting her heart pumping fast, pushing fire through her veins, and upon arriving back at the tapas bar where her husband and friends sat enjoying their evening, Kate screamed, Madeline's gone. They've taken her. Jerry, upon hearing those words, immediately shared in the fear and panic his wife Kate was feeling and told Matthew Oldfield, the world's worst babysitter, to run and tell the Ocean Club reception that Madeline was missing. The Ocean Club resort immediately went into shutdown and 60 people, including staff as well as guests, began searching for Madeline until nearly 4.30 in the morning. No matter where someone might have been that night, Everyone could hear Madeline McCann's name being called. Two police officers arrived around 11 p.m. that night, but upon finding nothing had pushed the case further along in the chain of command, potentially losing precious time in the search for Maddie. Additional police didn't arrive to aid in the search until two hours later, and it wasn't until 2 a.m. in the morning that canines arrived to aid in the search effort. Not only was the response time of this sleepy resort town police department seeming not up to snuff, but the room from which Madeline had been taken was never taped off as a crime scene. And between police and guests and staff aiding in the search, who meant well but ultimately hampered the efforts, more than 20 people traipsed through the room Maddie was taken from. Since that night, this case has not only developed a cult following in true crime communities, with thousands of Nancy Drews and Hardy Boys all trying to solve the case from home and bring closure for not only themselves but the McCann family, but this case has also become a favorite of conspiracy theorists. 
And that has a lot to do with Portuguese police being quick to point the finger and avoid any blame in their mishandling of the crime scene and subsequent search when they announced Kate and Jerry were the prime suspects in what was already any parent's nightmare. Goncalo Moral, the man in charge of the initial investigation, not only announced Kate and Jerry as their prime suspects, which set off the blaze which would ripple through the internet fueling conspiracy theories, but Goncalo also raised very severe and undue criticisms against English investigative forces that quickly involved themselves in the case. And this is where it gets exciting, and the new information comes into play. An hour ago, at the time of writing and recording this, only an hour ago, a new lead suspect has been named officially as German pedophile Christian Bruckner. Tourists in locals in Praia de Luz had spoken and given evidence to police 13 years ago, talking about a blonde male with a pockmarked face, who was seen stalking the McCann apartment block on three separate occasions. This description also matches the eFit sketches put out by the police online. What does this mean, though? This means Mr. Goncalo Moral has questions to answer for, and that's because Goncalo was more than aware of exactly who Christian Bruckner was at the time. Almost exactly a year ago in April, while speaking to the Australian podcast called Maddie, Goncalo said that British police, and I quote, are probably going to use a German pedophile who is in jail in Germany as their prime suspect. And then, Goncalo continues by saying his police department investigated him at the time, but found nothing to suggest he took Madeline. Now let me get this right. That's nothing to suggest? Nothing to suggest he was involved? Despite the fact that the Portuguese police had been given three eyewitness accounts of a blonde-haired, pock-marked face man stalking the apartment building, as well as another account from the Ocean Club itself saying that a blonde-haired man with bad skin was acting suspiciously in the reception area of the resort, with no reason to be there. Despite just that, Christian Bruckner wasn't even included in a short list of 600 potential suspects. Now call me crazy, creep. But if a man is skulking around the apartment that a little girl goes missing from, and that man fits eyewitness description and happens to be a convicted sexual predator like Christian Bruckner was, his first conviction being child sex offenses in Germany in 1994 at the age of 17. Well, I don't often give my opinion, but I believe that warrants a 1 in 600 spot on that short list. But despite all that... Goncalo has maintained that he believes the parents were involved in Maddie's disappearance, and when Christian Bruckner was brought to his attention in 2007, Goncalo dismissed him as a scapegoat. He'd already made up his mind who was responsible. Christian Bruckner is currently in jail serving a sentence for the rape and assault of an American woman in 2005, only 18 months before Madeline vanished. Around the time of the disappearance, Christian was living in a home only three miles from the resort, moving out a month before Madeline was taken and moving into a Volkswagen camper van. On the night Maddie vanished, investigators were able to track down a phone call that placed Christian in the immediate area of the Ocean Club Resort. He spoke to someone on the telephone for half an hour and then hung up. 
The next day, Christian then transferred ownership of his Jaguar XJR6 to a different name, and then shortly after moved back to Germany. In 2011, Christian was sentenced to jail for drug smuggling. In 2016, he was jailed for the sexual abuse of a child and possession of child pornography. And then after that sentence, he traveled to Italy where he was arrested in 2019 for a 2005 rape in Milan. He was then deported back to Germany and convicted this last December thanks to DNA evidence and is currently sentenced to seven years in jail. This is Christian Bruckner. The man Goncalo still says is a scapegoat. The same man who was seen on four separate occasions near where Madeline and her family would have been on the same days. This case is still unsolved. Perhaps he isn't the individual responsible. But for anyone who's ever been intrigued by this case, this is an important moment. And the first time this case has seen any notable movement in years, despite constant attention. Unfortunately and tragically, German authorities believe Madeline is deceased, but investigators are still treating it as a missing persons case. Obviously, anyone would hope the authorities are wrong, holding out hope that she's still alive somewhere in the world. But realistically, closure is what everyone is looking for now. Closure and resolution to a case that has driven the world crazy for over a decade. Closure to the constant harassment of the McCanns. Closure for investigators who have spent a career searching for Madeline. And closure for the family who want to know what happened to their daughter and sister. So, Creep, that brings us to the end of our tale. If you enjoyed today's story, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. They are so incredibly important in increasing the audience and getting these stories out. And more importantly, every single five-star review gets me one step closer to getting out of my mother's basement. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook all at Tales by Cole. This episode was written and narrated by myself, Cole Weavers, and production and editing by Matt Black. And remember, creeps, take care of one another, stay safe, and don't forget to lock the door.